Hello, this is Taki Musa, um, your host to the Beginner's Mindset Living Room Podcast. And uh, today I would like to welcome you to the last part, or second part of the two-part series uh, conversation that I had with uh, my guest, uh, Malcolm. Yeah, but my mom still picked up, you know, she, she saved us from that kind of depression. She really... It was tough for her as well. I can only imagine how tough it was for her. I mean, for me, I'm sitting here saying it was tough. There was this, there was that. But then she was the one who had to bring six people up, including mm. herself, you know? So I'm always grateful for that. I'm always very, very grateful. And I, that experience in my life is something I always take with me. Regardless yeah. of what I do, I'm always very vigilant on that. Um, right. We were privileged to have shelter. Yes, there was no electricity or whatever, but we had a space. We had somewhere mm. to go when we were being evicted. Not that yeah. many people could say that as well. That so, is so true. I'm really happy. You know, yeah, it was a crazy... That's why I say it was one of the worst, but it was one of the best experiences because we were also near the beach. So me and my cousins would run to the beach and then we'd come back, do the housework, run to the beach, come back, mm. do the housework, run to the beach. Then my, And then in between, I started writing a lot, and I wrote a lot of poetry. Mm. And eventually, I sat down, and I was like, well, what do I do with these things? And I read them again, and I started making artworks of different kinds, sculptures, mm. paintings, drawings. And at around 19, for some reason, I said, hey, I'll have an exhibition. Mm. Why not? Um, but also in between, I was also doing a lot of, what do you call it? I was doing a lot of different things. So I was volunteering in a lot of things. There was this thing called Wheeling to Help, which mm-hmm. is an organization based on, there's this place called Matipuili, where the students do not go to school because school is just very far. It's kilometers and kilometers away, and it's quite uphill as well. So if I was a student, I wouldn't go. And some mm. students who do go to school sometimes don't come back because, you know, you have to walk all the way back and you have a little kid. Anything can happen. Okay. Getting abducted or anything. So their way of helping them was to then have bicycles in school. But mm. then those bicycles, they can't keep them from themselves because a new generation of students come. So mm. it's like you have to think about the younger ones will come after you. So their bicycles will stay at school, but they will be offered to students so that they can actually commute in and out of school. Okay. So I did that. Then there was this thing called AfriCrafts, which was an organization that basically makes commercial things like glass and this and papers and pencils out of recycled material. Mm-hmm. So I took a lot of classes there. And I got to meet the people who work there, and I became very, I became friends with them. So every time I go back, I always go back there, and I always go see them, say hello and stuff. But then also, you know, if my friends want to make a certain thing or whatever, I told them, you know, there's this place you can make a connection with. There was okay. this lady I knew who was making this thing called My City, My Mark. And it started mm. beach cleanups. But then we started talking about, you know, you can only clean a beach for so long. The only thing you can really do is tackle the real problem. Now, this is where things like what I learned at school started coming up. Because now, because I took geography, then I realized, wait, 
I learned about this whole concept of prevention is better than cure. The reason why there's a lot of trash at the beach is because there must be a river depositing them there. Because if that's an advancing coastline, that mm. means the water ends there. So where is it coming from? You follow that river, you find the village where they're throwing the little things there, not knowing where it's going. So we talked about going in those remote areas and teaching them about recycling, reusing, reducing, and also showing them, you know, you may think you threw a bottle here and it's not going to lead to anything, but it will take you to that same beach where you guys want to go for the holiday or something like that, you know? So right. it may not affect you, but it will affect your country in that sense. Mm. So that was also another learning experience. And I did that for, I think, four or five months. For the wheeling top, another thing I had to do was cycle. Oh, yeah. So cycling was another exercise I did because there was this other one called the Salama Barbarani, which was like a bicycle caravan that we did all around the city. So for this one, I had to, for two days, we biked a total of 135 kilometers. Oh, yeah. Where we were to the village. Yeah, because, I mean, if we're going to talk about, oh, the students need bicycles, you know, we got to put our own words in our own mouths, you know, because they do that. Well, they don't bike 135 kilometers, but they bike a certain amount, you know. Mm, so we're right. like, kind of also emulate it. Let's also do it. Well, it's not my idea, but it was the organization's idea based on my understanding that we're going to, you know, as a way to commemorate what we're doing, we're also going to cycle from mm. Dar es Salaam, the city of Dar es Salaam, all the way to past Bagamoyo and da 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 to get there. So that's what we did. So right. that was quite a fun experience as well. Exhausting, mm. but with music, it was a very short time. So I had a great time doing so. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so towards the end of 2019, uh, I was still, my, meanwhile, doing all this, I was still studying because yeah. I had to get my points. So now I had to do it online. And the problem was my class, my geography class, the syllabus changed. Mm. So that meant that I had to relearn three whole new topics from okay. scratch so that I could actually pass my exams. And I was like, I was already struggling with these ones. And I have to learn three whole new topics. Prior to that, I did a reset for the exams and I almost got it. I got into the academy again. Oh, I'm jumping stories. So when I mm. first, in 2018, when I finished school, I applied to the academy and I got mm. it. But because I failed classes, I couldn't go. This mm. second time around that I'm talking of right now, I yeah. applied to the academy and I won a 5,000 euro scholarship. Oh, okay. And meantime, I was finishing school. I was finishing school again. Mm. And I needed one point to actually graduate. Mm. Which I and I was like, what? It's just one point, because I had to redo three subjects. So two of them I passed and one needed one point. And within mm. that one point, I needed one mark to actually graduate. I was like, one mark? What? Mm. So we were like, can you regrade it? They regraded it again, the one mark. Mm. And I was like, what? So I, I then lost my scholarship and I lost my university as well again, all because of one mark. So sometimes even the smallest of details to this day, I'm always like that one mark changed my whole life again. Um, <laughs> how, how were you able to cope with that? 
that that's uh, that that defeat in a way, because it was the first time, then the second time. Yeah, the second time. That's when I started writing. That's when I started writing. Actually, I started writing stories of certain situations that mm. were also mainly based on my personal life, on things that even my mother didn't know that happened to me. But then I masked them in a character. Mm. So that's also my artistic grew because I was like, well, I'm going to talk about my life, but I don't want them to know it's me. So I'll make up a character and we'll put her, him or her going through these things, you know? But mm. then also factors of what I heard about certain family members and stories that I know that people in the family that were not doing so correctly, I then also put it in there to kind of address the situations we're going through. So mm. I had to be calculative with what I was doing when it came to actually making these things and actually talking about these things as well. So meanwhile, while I was failing, my artistic practice was growing my work life, I guess, through experience was growing. So mm. I was very upset with how my life was going, but then I still had hope because I still had work. Some would right. argue then I can say that maybe I overworked myself, which is probably true because, you know, another way for me to cope with such things was to just work, just keep Stay working. engaged, yeah, keep yeah. Work, stay engaged because... Mm. If I think about it, when we, when my mom, when we were all defeated back in 2018 with everything that happened, if mm. my mom gave up and said, woe is me, then up to now I would have still probably been in that situation. Right. And even though my mom was going through a lot, all she could do is just pull up her socks and work. So mm. again, she's a very major influence in the things that I do because I'm like, well, she, 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 of all people, should have had that chance to sit down and cry, but she didn't. Mm. She just kept persevering. Mm. And so I guess I took that after her. And I kept right. working, and I said, okay, one more round, let's go. Then I find out that the syllabus changed, and I had to figure myself out again. So I told my teacher, because I was still in contact with my teachers, and she was like, yeah, but then you have to buy this book. And I was like, I don't have any money to buy the syllabus. And she she had no choice then to kind of, she wasn't per se allowed to do it. But what she did was she gave me an online book, which wasn't mm. really in teacher code, but it was the only way to help me by giving me access to the online books. They didn't. Okay. It's not like the books had answers or the test results or anything like that, because with the International Baccalaureate, you know, no one knows what the exams look like. And that's right. why when we do the exams, all the schools that also do those same exams do it at the same seating at the same day, which mm. also makes resitting for an exam even harder. Because mm. when you get graded, then you all have to get graded at the same time so that things like plagiarism or copying or being the teacher's pet does not happen. And that's right. how you ensure it. So even the teachers do not know what the exam looks like. Mm. All they can do is show you based off of what they are told to teach. So mm. the book was basically like any regular textbook, but it was in her account. So that was the oh. only so that's something I have to state out before people start saying he cheated his way out. But 
So I had to pull up my socks again. And while I was conducting, well, not conducting, while I was still making my exhibition work, I was studying. And I was studying for myself. And my grandma was a very big help in that because she was a professor. She was doing her work. So while we were in her library, she was doing her thing and I was doing my thing. In the mm. meantime, as well, she started also, like, giving me her works. So, like, every time she had to, to she had to, like, let's say, sign some things or maybe read some papers, she's like, well, you know English, right? Let's put it to the test. Mm. Here are some books. I want you to read them, and I want you to find any errors you can find. So I had to do okay. that, too, which also oh, helped wow. in that also helped in my studies. So sometimes you get commissions to read, let's say, books that are meant to be for grade three. So mm. like that would go to the government schools. And I remember reading them and I was like, you know, this is why people in my country don't seem to know English very well in that sense, because the books themselves are kind of lying to them. It's almost like a cash grab. These Some of these authors don't really know English that well themselves. And then it also reminded me, when I was in school, some of our French teachers didn't really know French either. Um, they knew based of what the book said, and we had to sit down and copy. So now you have students, me, for example, I can read French. I can. I don't think if I can write French as well, but I could write French, but I could not speak. And if someone was talking to me in French, I had no clue what they were saying. But if mm. I was to read something, I'd completely understand everything, you see? So right. that's something. So I take that as well. Like, you know, it's not the student's fault. It's not people's fault. It's really just the whole education system in itself. So I remember editing that book. It was, I think, 300 and something pages I had to read. So I was doing that. And then my grandma proofread it. And then mm. we sat down and talked about it and all that. And then she finished. And she gave the book, and of course, you have to write comments. So I wrote the comments, which mm -hmm. Grandma said were a bit harsh, but I was like, well, you have to be honest with them because it's not fair to give this book to a whole nation of students. And then you wonder why they're not as great in a certain language if they're not right. being taught correctly. Mm. So that was a very big learning experience, which okay. also helped my studying because now I was also forced to read word for word, to highlight, to think about it as well. So subconsciously, that was also an exercise for me to actually learn how to study, mm -hmm. which also helped with my studies as well. So okay. I didn't, so this time around, I couldn't do my exams in the Netherlands because, well, the syllabus changed. It was expensive. So the only way to do it was if I was to go to Moshi, the international mm -hmm. school there and do my exam there. Mm -hmm. So then I had to travel to Moshi. Um, I stayed there for three days and I just did my exams. And they were like, within a few months, you will get your results. And I was like, okay, I'll get my results within those few months. And in mm -hmm. between, I went and I was conducting my exhibition. And then in January 2020, on the 3rd of January, I found out that Although I was trying to get like a four in geography, I got a five. So mm. I was like, wow. Oh, well where done. Was this I was like, where was this five a year ago? <laughs> I passed my exam, you know? But, you know, it's so funny because, um, well, I'll say this later. Um, but 
I got my exam results. I passed everything. I applied to the academy. I got in. I applied for the scholarship again. I got it. So oh, now wow, I've been waiting for six months. Mm. So I'd stay busy. Um, mm. In the meantime, I rekindled with my friends from DIS. Mm. So while this was happening, there were so many things happening at the same time, I must say. Mm. While all this was happening, I was still with them. So my friend Danis loved to bake, so we would have bake sales. We would have performances. So I'd still go back to the school and sing in the benefit concerts or things like that. And this time I was a much better singer. So it worked in my favor in that sense. Mm. There was a lot of collaborations as well. So now some of my friends are now doing instruments. We started writing songs and making music. And while all that was happening, I was still starting to get my <laughs> to get my IB diploma, which I finally got, which made mm. now doing these things even easier. So after that, I focused on my exhibition. And mm -hmm. I went to Nafasi Art Space because that's one of the places you can go do it. Yeah. And I was a bit disappointed because I got there and then they were like, well, you could always, you can always tell when someone's not interested or not interested. They just didn't. I think also it was their lunch break as well. I can give them, the excuse I give them is it was their lunch break. So maybe they weren't trying to hear all this. But mm -hmm. at the same time, if you have an upcoming artist who wants to show their work and this, this, and that. You don't just throw them a waiting list for six, seven months. Mm. But I guess that's their protocol. I was like, okay, I understand that this is your protocol. I don't have that many months. I have to go to school and I'd mm. really like to show this exhibition. They're like, no, this is the only way you can do it. And I was like, no, a lot of artists are mainly intuitive emotionally and things like that. If you give them this whole protocol thing, it's going to feel more like a business, which, you know, now that I'm learning art is also a business. It depends on the kind of artist you want to be, but that also then reflects on the kind of life you want to have. Mm. So do have to be realistic. So that's always something I have to remind myself. You can't stay in the clouds for too long or you'll mm. get shot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I... I was like, okay, I understand. I apologize if I wasted your time, but thank you for letting me know. Next time, I'll be more vigilant with your, um, with how you guys handle things.
So my mom was like, okay, what are we gonna do? And I was like, let's find somewhere else. Because if one institution doesn't want to work for you, then make your own. Mm-hmm. Um, then I found Soma Book Cafe, and it was a completely different thing. Because I got there, and they're already engaged and interested. I told them my concept. I told them my stories. I showed them some of. You say Soma Soma Book Cafe. Soma Book Cafe. Okay. It's mainly a library, but it has a lot of different spaces you can rent out for I think a hundred thousand it varies and mm. you can do whatever you want there so w- so, where is it um somewhere in Mikocheni Kwandanindani okay it's a bit I wouldn't say hidden but it's almost like near an Afasi art space but not really it's near Millennium Towers mm. as far as I can remember or maybe okay. I'm lying to you I don't remember it's somewhere near but it's called mm. some book cafe mm. So they allowed me to do my exhibition there. And then this time, instead of exhibiting with people, I got to do it by myself. Mm. And at the time, I was 19 years old, actually. I was 19. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, let's do it. So that Saturday morning, I remember my mom and I had to pack all these paintings and drawings. And we had to print out, you know, all my poems. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I have to write, you know, like a mini book explaining what this is. Mean, Mind you, I didn't realize what I was doing. These are just things you need to do to do something, you know? I just wanted yeah. an exhibition. So I'm like, what else do I need? My mom's like, well, if you're going to have an exhibition, people are going to want to see, you know, they're going to want to see books, drawings, everything. So in that book, it, it's not a book, but I call it a pamphlet because it's not that big to be a book. But you see all the concept art that didn't make it through the exhibition, but are still mm-hmm. just important because I wanted to show, yes, I wanted to show my work, but I also wanted to show people what it really means to be an artist and why I'm applying for this degree. Like you may yeah. think it's not an education, but it is. I mean, mm-hmm. things we do, what we wear, what we sit on, it is all art. We just call it something else, but it is a form of art. And right. it's a part of just moving, you know? So so um, in that sense, I then... Ah, sorry, I had to turn on the lights. Apologies. No problem. Okay. So in that sense, I had to pull up my socks and make a publication of my works. The mm. paintings, the drawings, the concepts behind them. Who am I? What kind of artist I am? I didn't realize that I was making an artist statement at the time. I didn't realize that this is called the publications. I didn't realize that I was doing curation for my own position. Mm. I didn't realize that I was doing all these different things that some people would be paid a lot for. And for me, mm. I'm just doing it for myself. So right. that's so. So then I also learned, you know, some things are mainly, you know, it's some things are only hyped up based on just it being a title. If you give something a title, already words can give you so much meaning Mm. in comparison to just doing, which is a bit sad, but that's also how our world currently works. It doesn't have to be, just depends on the reality you want for yourself as well. Sorry, I talk too much. But um, that's okay. But um, I did my exhibition, and a lot of people in the family came, and some people were very emotional with some of the works. 
And of course, they didn't know that I was, you know, they see a character, but they don't mm. really realize that some scenarios of the exhibition was either me addressing them or them seeing literally a representation of their lives. And some people didn't realize that some of parts of these exhibitions were about my own life in that sense, <laughs> you know, because, you know, um, there's a lot that happens in a person. And if you're a strict parent, then your child is less likely to tell you things, you know? So yeah, yeah. that's always a factor. And so the only way I could express certain things was through art and kind of telling you, but not telling you in that mm -hmm. sense, which then naturally gets, makes you somewhat poetic with your approach. So I then explained my whole exhibition and this, this and that. And at the time, I just thought I was just, I was just doing it. When you're young, you're not thinking. You're just, I'm still young. I'm just doing it. It's nothing. Mm. And by the time it was over, and a lot of people were like, we thought it was just going to be an art showing. You know, some people came late thinking whatever. And then when they saw scenes concerning rape, motherhood, when they saw things concerning like, relationship factors and how things like money can take play, um, mm. power mm. structures, this hierarchical society that we're in, um, the disparities between men and women, and mm. how mm. one person's life can easily tumble into so many things. You know, I called it a ripple effect. Let's say mm. you get divorced, and maybe if you don't seek help, then you start going through substances. Then you have mm -hmm. financial da, da, da. Now those are the extremes. The thing is with art, we document what's happening in the world today. And a lot of people can say it's unrealistic, but truth of the matter is it's very realistic. It's just that life, when you look at artwork, you're seeing the finish end. You're, mm -hmm. you're seeing the finishing product. Mm. In real life will take you years to see until you tumble down can take, a year to 10, you know? Right. And within an artwork, sometimes you're maybe halfway to get to where you might be, whether it's negative or positive. And that's maybe why people can sometimes see a discontent, like uh, a disenchantment towards it. But mm. that's what makes art enchanting because by the time it happens to you, you start reflecting and through image realize, oh my God, the truth was right there in front of me. I just didn't realize mm. I was living in the truth in that sense. So okay. that's, that's one thing I really loved about art in that sense. Um, so after my exhibition, I just carried on with what I was doing. I was still with my friends who were still doing bake sales every now and then, and things were more relaxed until I finally went to the Royal Academy of Arts. Mm. But... It was a fantasy, yay! <laughs> what was that? The problem was I entered during COVID. Oh. So that meant we weren't getting the same that the other students were. So there were no trips. Some classes were canceled because of COVID regulations. And all I heard were people complaining all the time which was very tough for me to kind of say, I'm leaving my dream with everybody complaining. I'm like, I just went through all this to mm. finally reach my Garden of Eden. Mm. And it's nothing more than a wasteland. 
and I was really upset. Mm. So the only thing I could do to kind of keep it happy was mm. it started happening in my works. And it was weird. So whenever things were going down, my works became happy. And mm. when things were going happy, my works became depressing. Mm. It's almost like a weird effect. And I don't know why it does that, but I'm learning not to question it so much, but let it happen. Because mm. it's only after you see the finished product do you actually then start. You know, for me, my art is mine when I'm making it when it's still in here, when mm. I'm doing the bar strokes. But mm. when you say that work is complete, I don't know whose work that is anymore. Like, yes, mm. I did it, but I don't know who that is. Mm. It must have been an emotion of mine. It must have been an incarnation or so. But okay. when I see it versus when I make it is a completely different emotion. You kind of... Mm because your emotions were made within the brush strokes you worked on. You can okay. always tell when some brushes are a bit rough and some are soft, what someone was feeling when they were making the work. So when mm -hmm. it's finished and done and you have the full picture, you kind of, I kind of not so associate it anymore. It's not mine anymore. It's the world. So if some people say it's ugly or if some people say it's this or that, I'm like, I get it. And I appreciate you telling me because it also gives me an idea on how they think. Mm -hmm. But for me, it doesn't bother me because what matters to me in terms of my work is the journey that it takes me to. Yeah. Uh, the satisfaction that I get, that sense of sublime that occurs to me. So mm -hmm. throughout the academy, I just stayed true to my works and myself and I had my own way of conducting things and it worked out. Mm. And I finished, so that's year one. I'm 21. I go back to Tanzania, and I have a new pressure because apparently my last exhibition was nice enough that people want to see more. And I was oh. like, oh, God, I only have two months to make an exhibition. Last time I had six months to do it, and I wasn't planning to. So mm. I was like, oh, when are we going to get another exhibition? And I was like, uh, I didn't <laughs> I don't have anything to say. At the time, I had a lot to say, but now I don't have much to say. Whatever I had to say, I said it in the academy. It is weird when what you just do as leisure for a living becomes your career. Because mm. now you ask yourself, well, what do I do when I'm taking a break from my career, which was what used to be what I do when I take a break from school? Mm -hmm. Now your passion is your school. So what do you do next? <laughs> yeah. What do you Interesting. do? <laughs> what do you do? So I, I said, okay. But there was no idea that was coming to me. All I could think about was singing. So I met this guy called Alvin through Instagram. He liked some of my works. And he does producing. So I started making music. Well, he started making music. And I started writing the songs and singing through them. So mm. I thought, okay, then I'll just release an album by the end of two months, which did not happen because it was just, there was a lot that was happening at the same time. So it's really tough 
to make a cohesive body of work because I'm not going to make an album based on like, yeah, I'm happy and I got money or better, you know, oh God, love is a game, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not going to make an album based on that. I, there's certain things I want to talk about because at the end of the day, if I'm going to say this is my album or this is my brand, I like it to reflect with how I think and not how people want me to think in that sense. Absolutely. If that album does well, I hope if it ever does well, I'll be stuck singing them to the end of my career. Mm. So let me make it a good experience for myself. So the album never came out. But then it wasn't like we didn't make that many songs as well because it was quite a slow process with music. How many how many songs did you make? Well, he makes a lot of productions. And I wrote, I think, 15 stuff or so, but some with him and some by myself. Okay. So in terms of actually singing to the mic, then I only have about two songs in that sense that okay. I could say, yeah, these are substantial. But the rest was really just trial and error because I still also had to find my own art style because... At some point, I'm like, this just sounds like an Aretha wannabe. This just sounds like a Whitney wannabe. You know, what does Malcolm sound like? And that was my, that was my dilemma. I was trying to see how can I sound like myself in these things. Of course, when I listen to the Whitney and Aretha, they have influenced my voice in a way of singing. Um, but like how I do with art, I should find a way to mix those and add my own twist into it so I can be my own artist as well. So right. that's something that is still in the works, especially since I only had about two months and those two months were not consecutive on music because he lived pretty far away. If I'm in Bueni and he's like in where? Somewhere in uh, Tandika or something, then it's quite... A yeah, it's a yeah. completely different, uh, uh, yeah. almost like the opposites of uh, yeah. So it was quite the tough. locations, yeah. Yeah, so it's quite tough to do those kinds of things. So mm. in the meantime, I just I met Professor Django because I was mm. supposed to meet him, anyways, because he heard about me because my grandma used to work with him. Da da da. da. So Professor Django of Nafasi. Yes. Mm. I met him and we just talked about art for the most part. And he's like, I'll make you a deal. Mm. I'd like you to produce three artworks. And if they're good enough, then they'll go to my, they can be exhibited at the East African Art Benial. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Now I'm like, well, now I have to make artworks that can be exhibited there. How am I? What am I gonna do? What am I gonna? Do? You know, I was like, they're not even gonna, you know. So I panicked a lot, and when I panic, <laughs> works that I don't like. I really make works that I, you know, some people are like. But these are so nice. I'm like, I really don't like them. Mm. I don't like them. I don't like them. And so I gave up, and I said, you know what? They're probably not gonna make it anyways. So I will paint when I feel like it. So my mom would be like, are you taking Professor Django's thing seriously? Because you've been working on that one painting for almost two weeks now. And I'm mm. like, I am. Just give me some time 
just give me some time. She's like, Malcolm, you only have three weeks left in this country. Are you taking his thing seriously? This will be an opportunity. Stop wasting time. And I'm like, Ma, leave me alone. I think I know what I'm doing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I think what she didn't realize is I, for some weird reason, I only paint at night. If it's coaches and other things, I'll do it in the daytime. But if I'm painting, it's at night, and that's because I cannot sleep. So to get me no. to sleep is I paint, but I get too excited, so I don't sleep. I spend the whole night painting. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So okay. by the time it was, I think, my second, my uh, two weeks left in the country, and I had three paintings. And my mom was like, when did you do all of these? And I was like, I've been doing them this whole time when you're calling me lazy. I know when they're going to finish. Mm. I know how they're going to... I don't know how they're going to work, but I know they'll be finished. It's just a more intuitive. And I think that was the slowest I ever painted. In mm. the meantime as well, my my mom had these re office retreats to Serengeti and stuff. So mm. I went there and for the first time I started doing live paintings. So I was bored because yeah, you're in a nice hotel sitting there, but everyone's doing UN stuff and you're just sitting there. What are you gonna do? Are you just gonna, are you just gonna swim all day? Mm. So I saw the landscape. I was like, I've never done landscape before. Let's do it. So I started mm painting a landscape and then I gave it to oh my god I forgot it was an organization I think it's Tao Tao Tanzania something like that I forgot the name okay but I gave them the painting it was two wooden blocks mm. which had a, a map which had like the landscape of the Serengeti let me see if I can I think maybe after this, I can send them to you so you can see them for yourself. All right. That would be great. Yeah, because right mm. now, I don't think if I'll be able to... Yeah, I think I'll just send them to you and then you can see them for yourself because I don't think if I'll be able to show them here. In the yeah, meantime, no as well, I also met friends again and back to the bake sales that we used to do. We did it again. You know, it was almost like picking up it's weird because when I'm here, I have a mm. life here, and I mm. go back home, I have a life there as well. So every time I leave and I come back, that yeah. life I left is still waiting for me. So then I just right. have to go back to living this life, then I have to go back to this other country, and I have to go back living that life. And everything is exactly where I left it. My friends, mm. they're baking. Okay, I'm gone. Oh, I come here. My school's still waiting for me. I'm here. So <laughs> it's almost like you hit pause and you go somewhere. Sometimes unbalanced And you bear the weight of all that happens 
So yeah. I can't show you. It's it doesn't work. I was trying to. No, show it's you. okay. You you yeah. you just share later. Yeah. <clears throat> so I did that, and there was this other lady who asked for a commission. So I gave her another painting, and in the meantime, I was doing Professor Django paintings, and mm. I went to him and I showed him the three paintings, and I told him, well, for some weird reason, I've noticed that blue is a very strong color that came to these three paintings I'm giving you. So mm. I decided to call it a series called the blues. Blues mm. depicted what I think when I think of the color blue. So then I was like, maybe I can make an exhibition based on colors and what mm. those feel like to me. So in three, I thought of like the ocean blue. So like the water and the calmness of it, but also the roughness of it, which also has rushing waves on the cliff side. I thought of blues as storytelling. So then I had a person who survived cancer and chemotherapy. So you have a lady just sitting there. And then the room is orange, which mm. picks, well, it's yellow-orange. It's brighter. It's a warm tone of color, mm. which depicts how inspired people feel when they hear her story. You know, you get so inspired when someone tells you, I survived this, 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 and that. And mm. then lady herself, I painted her in a very, it's a brown that's more in the cool tone. So it's like a darker grayish brown. And the dress she was wearing was a very dark blue as well. And it's supposed okay. to show, despite her being strong and surviving things, she's still battling. She's still going through it, you know? Mm -hmm. You couldn't say, yeah, she's healed, but she'll never be the same again. So right. despite that she's radiating warmth to wherever she is, she's still mm. cold. So that was what the story depicted. And then the last one was blues in terms of music. I like music. Mm. And there was this um, performance by Jill Scott that I just kept playing a lot through, throughout the holiday. So what you'll notice in a lot of my artworks, you'll see a lot of album covers or performances mm. that I just screenshot where I think is important, and then I make an interpretation painting out of it. Okay. And it had Jill Scott in it. She was about to sing her winning note, and just that. And so I gave them to Professor Yengo. I came back here for my second year of university. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, I found out that one of the three paintings actually made it. So I got oh, yeah. it to African Art Benial. Yeah. Oh, look so, at that. So one painting made it. I was like, wow. And here I am thinking I wasn't going to be able to. So one thing I'm always learning is the only way that I seem to succeed is if either I don't know what I'm doing or I don't take what I'm doing too seriously in the sense that I don't try to say, oh, but this is an important thing that I have to mm. do. You know, I just take it like, okay, I have something to do. What is it? Okay, what is required of me? All right, I can do that and still make a cohesive body of work in that sense. Okay. So I'm also learning not to be timid when it comes to 
things that are ambivalent towards me or things that look out of reach towards me. I just now say, well, why not? I'll just mm. do it. Because even in high school, the International School of The Hague, that's the attitude I had. Yeah. Oh, why, why can't I be in the school production? Why mm. can't I join choir? Why, yeah. why not? You know, that's what I, that was the attitude I had. And I think I lost it when I went back home because, you know, I failed and I was like, oh no, this is a bad attribute. But yeah. then when I picked it up again, it's been working in my favor. And it's now even in the academy, my teachers are like, your work is always changing. We love how you're growing and progressing. You know, you keep taking things that you haven't done before. And I'm like, yeah, um, the best thing I can say is simply my best advice ever that I'll even give to my own children is simply, why not? <laughs> That's beautiful. That's, That's beautiful. That, and it's so powerful. <clears throat> yeah. Like, really. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. So that's what I did. Um, and so this time around when I went back, I worked. I did. It was an accident, actually. My mom told me about Thai Tanzania, which is an animation company. And I was like, oh, that seems interesting. I actually wanted to do animation. I used to as a kid, but then people, some people in the family made fun of me for it. So I stopped, you know? So this, this you're talking about this last holiday that you, uh, you went to Tanzania. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm 22. Mm. Uh, I, I was like, okay, let's see this Thai Tanzania. So the plan was to just meet the founder of it and just have a conversation with him, artistic conversation. So I went there, I asked him my questions, I got some answers. I was really happy about it. I was like, okay, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then as I'm about to leave, he's like, let me introduce you to, you know, my staff. I was like, okay. And then he introduced me and then he said, yeah, so he only has three weeks left. So make sure his three weeks are well as he interns you. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> where, where was that coming from? <laughs> I know. I was so confused. I was like, wait a minute. I only came to say hello and goodbye. Ah, wh what do you mean? I didn't tell him this. This was in my head. I was like, what? Mm. I came to see what you were doing. I didn't come to work. Mm. Then I said, well, why not? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so throughout the two weeks, not three, but two, because mm. that was towards the end of the, I guess, second, third last week, mm. I went into Thai Tanzania, and I got to see different aspects of where they work. I went to all the meetings, and I had to do the minutes. And what was really interesting about them is they do, they make animations based on the lens of children with disabilities. Okay. You know, a lot of people like to say disabled people, but what does that mean? Anybody can be disabled. My grandma was fine until she had the stroke and then she became disabled. That's mm. she's a disabled woman. It just means that a disability just came towards her. I had a teacher who the chemicals blasted on his eyes and he became blind. You know, you can be disabled in your 80s, you can be disabled in your 40s, and some at birth. So <clears throat> we started talking about that as well. 
because there were many meetings as well concerning these kinds of factors. Because if you're going to make... You know, you know the, the Kiswahili msemo that ujafa ujaumbika? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It, it comes into play there. Exactly. No, mm. exactly. And so I was like, so based on like, and it was so interesting because in between, while I was talking about when I was in these meetings, it was even easier for me to tune in to this world because in Africrafts, mm. most of one of, I was working with this man who had blindness, but he, you forget he was blind. Mm. He knew where he was going. He knew who he was talking to. And if he didn't, all he needed to do was touch you and he knew who you were. And he was just a human being who just apparently cannot see, but does not behave like what you'd assume a person who cannot see does, you know? Mm. He wasn't hitting into walls or anything like that. When I was 20, when I was 20, one of my friends had an auntie from the Netherlands who had this uh, foundation called Your Rights Foundation, where mm. they come to Tanzania and their thing is this, she doesn't believe in giving money, but she believes in offering free services. So she said, what do you guys need? Okay, you need the schools built um, fine, well, we get people, they do it. Based on the funds they get here, they go around Tanzania and they go in India as well. And they mainly help certain places. So one of which was this place called Kitocha Baoreste, which was in Bunju, which mm. basically was a safe haven. I call it a safe haven for students who had all kinds of disabilities. So some who cannot talk, some who maybe can walk, some mm. who are born without hands, some who, you know, just need to be in their chair for their whole lives. So mm. you a whole spectrum of people with different disabilities. Mm. But yes, as a regular person, you then have to just take into account that you're not the brightest because these people all have different things going on, but they can easily understand each other. They can mm. understand you. So that means they had to take extra efforts to kind of get somewhere. And we mm. as ones were sitting there trying to figure out which one was E again. But yeah. they can understand everybody. They're right. quite intelligent if you think about it. And mm. the more you stay with them, the more you start to... Because at first you're like, oh, you know, they're going through this. But... The longer you stay with them, the more you really start to humanize them. I have to call my own fault to it. At first, I was like, oh, no, these students, you know, I'm going to help them. But if anything, they really taught me a lot of things. Mm. You know, they also showed me my ignorance of certain people who I thought, because in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, I wouldn't imagine myself without legs or whatever. But mm. then life just fine. Sometimes probably even better than you are, you know? So I was like, wow. I'm learning a whole different world here. And I right, appreciated, right. I only had a month there, but I really appreciated my time there to not only necessarily, I can't sit here and say, oh, I learned to be grateful for anything, but I learned about collaboration because mm. those who did not have, those who could walk would feed those who do not have hands. Okay. Those who are stuck in their wheelchairs were being moved by those who could not speak. Mm. Those who were blind were being helped by those without legs. 
So everyone is helping everybody. They are very self-sufficient. They have right. a school garden there. So those who can go there, and even if they can't, they still like to be there to even see what's happening, to feel like they are part of something. So I really learned the concept of true collaboration that we people with all limbs and everything, to be honest, lack. We're a bit selfish in that sense. But mm. when, but they really just really understood the concept of having each other. Mm. Um, so after living there, after being there for a while, when I'm now back two years later in Thai Tanzania by accident, I'm realizing I'm taking the knowledge based on these places I've been to hear because yeah. some arguments they were like making a film they wanted to talk about making a script concerning maybe someone who has leg disabilities cannot play basketball mm. and I, I said well that's not true mm. um, there are so many who do it in their wheelchair mm. so many who do it even with their sticks mm. and I said but at the same time it depends on what story you want to tell now, if you're going to make him the hero, what hero do you want him to be? Do you want him to be that despite all this, he was able to play just as strong by using his, I guess, disadvantages as an advantage? Mm. Or do you want to make him a type of hero that says, okay, I may not be able to play, but I can coach him? Yeah. So what part of strength do you want him to have? Do you want him to be mental or physical? And mm. that also takes a part when you make characters, you know? So it really it really helped me a lot as well, being in Titans and learning about that. And then the whole the corporate part of sitting down and I was told you have to write the minutes as well. And it's like, I have to write the minutes. I'm like, yeah. this is something my mom does. It sounds boring, annoying, and really long. I can't write minutes. Mm. And then I just try. So I started writing minutes and I enjoyed writing minutes. I enjoyed being in this corporate setting, to be honest, because mm. you, know, I, you sit there, you give your ideas, you write your minutes, you're to, you're, you go on field research. So one of which was we went to a school, um, what's it called, the Mkapa school, which mm. was called city school. Uh, in the, in the oh. city center. Yeah. Is that and Ilala or something? Yes. And it was a good experience because, you know, you sit there and you also learn how discriminative our country kind of is in terms of people with disabilities. Because some students just stop going to school because in their wheelchair, they're like, how am I supposed to go to the top of my class when there's nothing that can get me up there? You know, so then they stop going to school. And they all have their own... It, there's a spectrum as well. There's mm. people who can understand you by just looking at how your mouth moves. Okay. You can kind of hear, but not really. There's some who may not be able to hear at all, but can talk just well. And there's some who can only murmur some of the things, and some can only use hands. And it was so interesting seeing them gossip with just their hands as well. And also learning about also being a teacher, how hard it is to also teach a group of students in which it's almost like no one understands each other because on the one hand it's like you know for us though they say we cannot understand our teacher because we cannot hear mm -hmm. okay the teacher is like fine i'm trying to make them hear i'm trying to make them understand by writing 
okay, but the problem is some of them use their hands to talk. Mm. So when they're gossiping, the teacher cannot necessarily turn around and say, keep quiet, because right. they're <laughs> yeah. some of them who can't hear they don't realize the noise they're making because some of them you know when they do this they're also doing meh, meh, meh kind of thing. yeah yeah, they're yeah trying yeah. to mimic those sounds but they don't realize they're doing it so it's just an interesting situation that's occurring because now you have some of them who then say you know what why should we even study if the teacher doesn't even want to help us? And the teacher mm. says, well, these guys don't even respect me enough, so why should I teach them? But then at the same time, the biggest thing that sat with me was one of the students said, you know, fine, we'll mm. go to school. We only have the hope of school. But truth of the matter is, what happens after the bubble pops? Because mm. every time I walk around the street, I see a fellow either Kiziri or something being either on the streets just sitting there asking for money. Is that Thinking, what that yeah. would mean? I want a different life. But at the same mm. time, there's the concept of job insecurity. Okay, what am I going to... How am I going to get a job? You know, some of them are like, will, will people in those places understand me if I can't talk or if I can't hear? Mm are going to work in the workforce. And I think that's also a part we don't realize. Even within the workforce, we're very discriminative. Yeah. So I was like, that is so interesting. And I'm like, well, at some point I was even like, imagine <laughs> if we lived in a society in which we're, let's say, as students, because for them, they have to learn the ABCs. They still have to learn how to write like us. What <laughs> if, as children, we also had to learn sign language? Yeah, you know, imagine that. Yeah, would that make you know? Mm. So that was that was really something for me. I was really like, wow, you know. So so I was like, well, what keeps you going to school? She's like, well, that's why some of them don't want to come to school because mm. they're like, even if we spend money doing exams and doing well in school, we don't and have what? careers. We just sit. Mm. What are we gonna yeah. do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Malcolm, uh, uh, this is a very uh, powerful story of your life. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, taking us all uh, from uh, from Dar es Salaam, from the time you were born, to all the ups and downs that you have uh, you have been through. But I think uh, for me, what I find the most appealing in the in the process is the is the uh, 
the lessons that you have taken in, in every experience that you have had. And I think this is, um, is, a, is a good takeaway for me. And I think it's something that I would like, even for my audience to take that uh, there is, uh, you know, life is life and uh, there are some good experiences and, and not so great experiences in terms of uh, there are some that are more comfortable than others. But uh, as, uh, as things happen in our life because we don't choose those things, what is it that we do? Uh, how do we react to them and, and how do we how do we turn them around in order to to build us to to make us grow? And I think you have um, the way you have uh, at least told your story about your life. It is quite clear that uh, there is so much growth in you uh, within the the few years that you have been in this world, um, and uh, there is so much uh, uh, there is so much interesting stories that you can share with others where people can learn, they can also have a different perspective. Uh, and I'm sure we'll have so much uh, more opportunities to speak about different things uh, in the time to come. Uh, but uh, I would like at this stage uh, to ask you one uh, question also, yeah. which is, uh, is, is more of a philosophical question, uh, and is to do with your philosophy and the outlook of life. It's about personal success. Uh, how do you how do you define a personal success uh, personal success for you? Hmm. <laughs> okay, um, my personal success. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I have not reached in that space of life as of yet. At the mm. moment, I'm still thinking like, okay. Uh, I don't want to be homeless or anything like that. So I should make enough that I want to own. I want to own a piece of land. I want to own a house, maybe another one, so that when I get old, at least I can rent one out, you know, which is a bit capitalistic. But if you have to survive, you have to survive somehow. It's a, it's a capitalistic world, uh, yeah. whether we like it or not. Um, yeah, like so we have to operate within the confines of that. That's true, you know, and that's kind of where I am in that sense. But I always take, it's so weird because success comes in so many factors. Like, for example, if I think of my grandmother, she was a very successful woman because she also, I mean, from Zambia all the way to Dar es Salaam and then learning the, a whole new language and then from there, tiring from librarian all the way to professor, if my story is impressive, then hers is just legendary. Mm. From coming from all the way somewhere else to build a whole life and a base here. That's something, you know? So that that's why I always said my mom and my grandma are huge influences on how I live my life in that sense. But okay. um, despite her being very successful with her endeavors, what I noticed was when she retired... As she said, she felt like she lost her sense of self because now that she's not a professor anymore, she doesn't know who she is. And I was like, oh, my God, you do forget that there is life after retirement. And once right. you stop doing what you've been doing your whole life, then who are you? I mean, I can say I'll be an artist forever, but any day, and it's so easy 
because it's happened to some of my friends where you're in the wood workshop and someone lost two fingers so they can't paint, you know? Mm. So sometimes what you do can also break it off of you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, if I waste my voice too much with over-talking and stuff, it will dry out. So by the time I'm old, I won't sound as good. So in things like those kinds of physical talents that require your hands and voice, like mm. nature, it's very limited. So despite you having a successful career, you will deteriorate at some point. And I'll then think of like what Lauren Hill once said, where life is like hills. You climb a hill and you go down, up and down. And the problem is some people, once they get up, they want to stay on top and stay mm. there. And that's great, but at the same time, it stunts you because your mentality sticks there. You're just stuck there. Fine, you make all the money, but does that mean you truly be happy or sublime? Some people can say yes, and some people can say no. In my opinion, everyone has a completely different success story, and I like to think that you can never really be I don't think if you can ever really be successful or reach your full potential, because what I've noticed is as time progresses, you're going to have your down moments and your high moments. And sometimes your down moments are what make your high moments feel so, feel so emancipated in that sense. You know, mm -hmm. if you're always high up, you don't realize how high up you are unless you had a taste of what it's like to be below sea level in that sense, you know? Right, right. So for me, I like to think that maybe success is part of the um, fantasies in a capitalist world, whether it's money or having to freely have vacations whenever you want or anything. But I think the true level of success or sublime for me would have to be still having the ability to be happy, still having the ability to learn more, still having the ignorance of saying, oh, well, this is life, so what are you going to do? You know, mm -hmm. I just say, well, why not? Let's make mm -hmm. something. I think for me, my best success is if, I wouldn't say not staying unsatisfied, but more like saying, what else can I do? I think that right. my best success will always be, what else can I do? Because let's say I reach that point where even my body is strong enough and I have the best voice and I have the best artwork and the best this, eventually I'm going to go old. And then what am I supposed to do? Am I just supposed to bask on my glory days and be like, I used to have the huge hair, or I used to have this, I used to have that. I want to know that when I get old, I still have something to offer with my gray hair or bald head or whatever I'll look like or whatever disability I'll have. I like to think that I may have still something to offer. Not to prove to people, but to just have that sublime, of my, that sublime of myself saying, you know what, even in my last breath, I still had something to do. For I me. still had something to do and offer. Yeah. So that's my success. Not okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, I would like, um, <clears throat> yeah, so we, we have, um, I think you have... Um, covered uh, 
a good part of your life. And I think if uh, for those who are very, um, they are very creative, they can visualize what kind of a person that you are uh, and uh, have, uh, have an idea. And hopefully they will also get an opportunity to meet you at some stage. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, I have done in the past is the, through the podcast, I've had some uh, panel discussions. And uh, in those panel discussions, I invited either two or three people uh, to talk about a particular topic. And uh, this, is, this could be another opportunity where if you are interested, I would also be able to invite you. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, of course, I'll check with you whether for the topics that I would want to, mm -hmm. to have a panel discussions on, whether you'd be interested. Sure. Um, but so uh, thank you for, for being interested uh, to take part in that uh, when, whenever that time comes. Uh, I would like to give you an opportunity to maybe give uh, some closing remarks, and this could be in addition to everything that you have said, uh, anything that uh, sticks to you that uh, mm -hmm. either has impacted your life very greatly and you would like for people to know and you would like to share with people so that people can either learn from it or take it away, uh, or uh, just a word of advice if you have any. Uh, and this is just for the audience. Mm. Um... I think for me, what I can say is the biggest lesson I learned, which actually came from this show called The Divorce Court. But <laughs> Divorce what? Divorce Court. <laughs> it's, but it's a life lesson I take from all this, actually, is um, I think, yes, your past does not define you. But it doesn't mean that you should disregard it in any way because it's through your past can you really learn what kind of future you could have. And mm. by past, I don't only mean yourself, but that also includes the people you surround yourself with, be it your family or friends. Their life decisions are more or less somewhat of a reflection of what your own could be because the longer you stay with people, the more you start to create the same ideals as you. If mm. I my great grandmother who ran away from her area mm. till she got to here, following my grandma who went all the way to the US and the UK to get an education, who then came to my mother who has never been afraid of reinventing herself. And now here I am at 22, following the same things. You can easily see that throughout the timeline, Malcolm did not just become this just because he did. It came from his mother, who it somehow came from my grandma, who it somehow came from her mother. Mm. And, and another thing I can also say, which could be different from if you see something, and this is something I'm learning now, if you see that something is not working for you, then you should change the point of view. In the sense that, you know, when I talked about when I was lashing out or doing this or that, it was out of anger and resistance. But you cannot resist for so long because you resist because you want to be heard. But when you're barking all the time, no one's going to listen to you. Sometimes you have to take the approach. Not necessarily, you can follow the procedures 
and do it in your favor. You know, you can sit down with people, have a nice conversation mm-hmm. or so, and get to the bottom of the situation. Then when you finally get to a level in which that you have more control, let's say you're trying to, maybe you don't like a certain system or structure, be it in your work life or school life, mm-hmm. then you can do is it's what I'm doing right now because I'm applying for a student council. I don't like that there's senses of racism in my school. Instead of crying and screaming over it, you know, I joined the diversity team and I tried to make change through there. And then from there, I applied for student council, which will probably give me a better chance of kind of equating some things together. So instead of just sitting down and making posters all the time, I'll yeah. directly to the problem. I'll speak, never showing. I mean, of course, you should show emotion, but sometimes in this kind of world of today, you also have to take into account that sometimes that doesn't help so much. And the only way to actually carry through is to, you know, sit down, reflect. Um, when you go talk to this person, yes, they'll try to aggravate you in so many ways. But if you can keep a sense of composure and no fear at all. And just mm. answer every question diligently. You even make them wonder, like, mm. what gives him so much strength to come and talk to a person like that? And it's something I've noticed that did happen, which is the part maybe I didn't open up here, but it is something I do want to take because that's the biggest lesson I've had so far, which is um, if you don't see your way not working, then sometimes mm. you have to change it. And you may think, oh, but I'm not being my authentic self, but... If you're going to change the system, sometimes you have to learn it, understand it, grasp it, grow in it, still keep your ideal so that by the time you get to a place where you can make a change, then make the utopia that you want to see. Oh. Man, Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> what can I say? Well, my uh, grandma you... was a professor, so these are the conversations I always have. Yeah. The child. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, you make us all proud. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, I really do appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, the, the candor in which you have uh, shared uh, uh, your story, uh, the story of your life. I'm, I'm quite impressed with uh, the influence that uh, the, the women in your life have had. Um, I have the pleasure of knowing your mom, not very well, but... Um, I know her, and um, I think uh, as a mother, she's definitely very proud of uh, the son that she has, and uh, it's something that I would also say to her. Um, so um, just keep on doing what you're doing, and uh, I think uh, you will just get to where you want to get. Thank you. Yeah. Do you have any advice for me, maybe? Uh, well, uh, I think um, I wouldn't say that I have any particular advice for you. Uh, maybe that will be more offline uh, when we speak, uh, yeah. as, uh, whenever we meet uh, as a follow-up to our podcast conversation, because I'm more now intrigued with our conversation and there are some of the, um, some of the areas that you have covered but uh, I understand that uh, they require more time in order to delve into them. And those are the ones that uh, I'm sure when we make time and meet up and talk, I'll be able to, uh, to better understand. And that, that will be the moment when I can also share my, my two cents of advice. 
to you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and okay. thank you for your time, and thank you for flexibility in uh, arranging this. Um, so I think um, I will send you my my email address that you can also share this uh, recording. Um, and uh, but we'll be in touch uh, before we even release uh, this uh, podcast, which I believe it will be in two series because it's uh, it's uh, rather long. So we'll split it into two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right then. All so right. you have, you have a good night. Thank you again. You too. Have a nice okay. evening. Thank you. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye.